This time of year, as we're entering into autumn and we're also entering into the celebrations of Thanksgiving and the holiday season, it's very easy to think about a pastime that's very synonymous with this time of year, which is the great American pastime, football. If you think about it, it's part and parcel of what we expect to be part of our experience every single time we go through the season of autumn and even Thanksgiving Day itself. And the game is quite complex. We know that there's a lot of rules and a lot of regulation and a lot of things to know. And then you have to go through and pick your favorite team. You have to find one that you're going to pledge allegiance to in some way. But then there's also the complexities that are involved even in the team itself. If you think about it, it's quite a feat to pick a good team because you not only have to pick one good person, but you have to pick a good several people to fill a bunch of different roles. You have to have a good quarterback. You have to have a good kicker. You have to have a good wide receiver. You have to have a lot of different people, and they're not really interchangeable either, that each one has its own skill set. Each one has an area of expertise or a thing that they do really well, and maybe not so much the other things, but we capitalize on what they do very well. If you think about it, that's just a small view of the entirety of humanity, that each and every one of us have our strengths, have our abilities, have an area of expertise or things that we do really well. But on the flip side of that, we also have things of deficiency, areas where maybe we're not so strong or areas where we struggle or we find ourselves very weak. In the midst of all of these things, in the midst of our gifts, in the midst of our disability or in the midst of those areas where we are weak, how does that lead us forward along the kingdom of God? How is it supposed to get us to the kingdom of heaven? We start off this morning with the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is a part of the wisdom literature books. So it's a series of books that are settled on finding those sort of bits of wisdom, and not necessarily like practical wisdom, but more academic. And so it's trying to go more for less the surface level wisdom and more for the deeper realities of life. And we can find that especially in Proverbs chapter 31, which we heard this morning, at least a good section of it. But nonetheless, this, this part of Proverbs is speaking about a wife. And not just any wife, but the worthy wife, one that's price is beyond pearls, whose worth is beyond anything, who is that unfathomable prize for the husband who has married her. And it's not just about the way that she is or the way she looks, because later on in the reading, it tells us that charm is fleeting and beauty is deceptive, all of these things that we might get concerned about. So what is the worthy wife? What is that wife that is extolled beyond all others? Well, it's the one who does things well. It's the one who is, brings about good for her, not only her husband, but her entire family, who does good and not evil all of her days, who goes about and works, bringing flax and wool, who goes about the, the, the spindle, and all of these different things that she works tremendously hard. But it's not just for the blessing of her family, but it's even for those who need her charity, those who are on the down and out, those that need those blessings that others can provide. The poor and the needy even know her blessing. But nonetheless, because of all of these things, she will be richly rewarded for her labors, we're told, and that she will be praised at the city gate. 
Indeed, this is a beautiful thing, and it's even something that oftentimes biblical, biblical theologians will talk about as the Proverbs 31 wife because it's the ideal, but it's one who lives out their faith very well, and there's a point to this, because if we go into the responsorial psalm, blessed are those who fear the Lord, it's not just for wives, it's not just for married people, but it's for everyone, that everyone should see after the example that this ideal wife would provide, and they should do something similar with their life. So blessed are all of those who fear the Lord. We move on and we hear from St. Paul in his first letter to the Thessalonians, and he's continuing on the theme that we heard from last week. So we heard last week that he was addressing the concern that those that had fallen asleep before the Lord had risen would indeed be lost. But St. Paul is quick to tell them that's not so. But those that have fallen asleep before are also saved by the power and the healing that Christ has provided through his passion, his death, and his resurrection. But he continues on this theme because he wants to encourage them about something that we can often forget about. That it is that moment when the Lord will come. That he wants to remind them that that moment might come like a thief in the night, but it should not catch them unaware. And he speaks to the Thessalonians and he reminds them that I don't necessarily need to write to you about this. You already know, but it's good to be reminded anyway. And so he tells them that they are not of the darkness nor of night, that they're not a people that are simply oblivious to the fact that the Lord is coming, that they shouldn't live and tell themselves peace and security, for it could be that very moment that they deceive themselves and then the Lord comes. But he wants them to always be aware. So he's telling them they're not of darkness nor of night, but they are children of light, that they are children that are aware that their master is coming. So they need to stay awake, to be sober, that they can't slumber like the rest. Then we finally move on to the gospel according to Matthew, and we hear the parable of the talents. So we're told that a master gathers his servants in, and he entrusts his possessions to them. To one he gives five talents, to the next he gives two, and to another he gives one. And he isn't just giving this indiscriminately, he's not just kind of throwing money around, but the gospel tells us that he gives to each according to their ability. And so then he leaves. And immediately we're told that the first two, they start to do something. They don't know when the master's going to return, and so they start to go forward, and they try to trade so that they can gain even more with their master's money. And they do so well that they double the amount they had originally been given. That the first one with five makes it to where he has ten. The second one who had been given two makes it to four. But then there's this fundamental difference with the last one. The last one doesn't do that at all. He doesn't go and engage in trading. He doesn't even invest it in a bank. But rather what he does, he takes that one talent, that sum of money, and he puts it and he buries it in the ground. And eventually the master returns. And he wants to see what these servants have done with his possessions. And so he calls the first one in. The first one had the original five, and he tells the master that he has gained five more. And the master is pleased with this. He tells him, well done, good and faithful servant. Come share your master's joy. That he's overjoyed that he did what he was supposed to do. And then the second one, who had only two, that he took the two and he told the master that he gained two more. Again, the master has that original same amount of joy that he had with the first. He tells him, well done, good and faithful servant. Come share in your master's joy. But then there comes a moment of reckoning. 
And that's with the last servant. The last servant comes before him, and he says the statement that is unlike the others, that it's something that's rather harsh, that he thinks that he's criticizing the master, but rather what he's doing is condemning and indicting himself. He says, Master, I knew that you were a demanding man, that you harvest where you did not plant, you gather what you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went and hid the money. Here it is back. And the master's anger. Because he knows this servant has no excuse. He looks at him and he's filled with fury because this servant knows him very well. He says, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I was a demanding man. You know that I gather what I did not scatter. You know what I harvested that I did not plant. Couldn't you have done the bare minimum? Couldn't you have put it in a bank? Then therefore, what does he do? He takes that talent away from that one servant and gives it to the one who had ten. And then he throws the servant outside because he's useless to him. He entrusted something great of value to him, and he couldn't have been bothered to make a good return. But all of that said, this parable, what does it exactly mean? We have to recognize that when we hear about talents in the gospel, it can speak of a sum of money and a tremendous sum at that, but it can also speak of different gifts that are given, those different things and those different blessings that the Lord can provide. Because in fact, we need to realize that we are in the place of those servants, that we are being entrusted with much. But what does that mean on the surface? Well, first, we should recognize that the Lord knows each and every one of us very, very well. Because whenever he goes and he distributes to his servants, whenever he gives us things that he gives to each, not indiscriminately, he doesn't just throw things around. But what does the gospel tell us? That he gives to each according to his ability. So he gives to each according to the way that they're designed, their strengths, their weaknesses, where they excel, maybe where they don't. That's why one got five, another got two, and another got one. And so he knows each and every one of us very well, that he wants us to understand that he's not a God governing from light years away, but he's a God who is very much part and parcel of our lives. He wants to be involved. He's very much here. He knows even the most mundane detail about us. And so he gives to each of us according to our ability. And so, in fact, we have a God who knows us very well, in spite of what the world might have us believe. Our God makes it his business to know all about us, what's troubling us, what we are going through right now, what causes us joy. All of those things, the Lord makes it his business to know. But then that moves into something else. Because if he's entrusting to those according to their ability, what is he giving to them? And that's consideration for what is the Lord entrusting to us. Now, we could think of talents in terms of money, and indeed the Lord does bless us with that from time to time, but I think our spiritual life would be sorely lacking if we just simply relied on money, or if we made life all about just whatever capital gain that we can make. So we have to look even deeper, because it's not just talents as a monetary gain, but it's about looking at those gifts that the Lord has given to us, and that's especially important at this time of year, because we should be thankful, we should be assessing what the Lord has given to us, the ways that he has blessed us with friends, with family, with a lot of different things, or even a place of work, or different places where we can learn, all the things that the Lord has provided, those different things that even we take for granted, a roof over our heads, or food, or different things. The Lord has provided all of those, and he blesses us with those things. But we should also realize that those things he gives to us, he also gives us grace, he gives us blessing, but then he also gives us things inside the church. He gives us sacraments, he gives us his word, he gives us a lot of things that sometimes it's easy to take for granted and think it's a very small or meager amount. 
but in fact it's tremendous because even if it is that one talent the lord has entrusted far more than we know to each and every one of us but then we think about that and we think about the good things in life but then we also have to look at the flip side of things all of the areas of weakness because these two can become a source of blessing. That even the areas of weakness, the areas of sin that we struggle with time and time again, or those areas where we find ourselves very, very much struggling, that the Lord can provide blessing in these areas. And so even those areas of deficiency, the Lord who knows us very well, He's designed us in such a way that we can also ask for His help. That these areas of weakness, we're not meant to suffer those on our own, but the Lord is going to give us grace, especially in those places. So they're actually places of opportunity as well, even as they're places of challenge. But then the challenging point, with everything that we've been given, what are we doing with those things? Because in the gospel, there is fundamental choice, that there is an option one way or the other. And that is ultimately what this gospel boils down to, whether one chooses to engage with God or whether one chooses to set God to the side. Notice the first two, they receive their talents, they receive all these blessings and gifts from God. They're grateful for what they've been entrusted with. And so what do they do? Well, they go out and they start to trade for more. They start to want to do more with what the Lord has provided. And so they're trying to make a great return. And they do so well that they double exactly what the Lord has provided. That they do something astronomical and something tremendous. That they, as the Lord has blessed them, so they have become a blessing to others. But what about the last person? Well, the last person chose not to live that way. The last person saw the Lord and he wanted to spite him. The Lord, that he saw the way that the Lord treated others, and perhaps his heart was corrupt. Perhaps he become quite, became quite jaded. Why did that servant respond in the way that he did? Well, perhaps he saw the talents that were entrusted to others, and he felt that he wasn't given enough. That he looked around and he said, is the Lord telling me that I'm that terrible? And so he just simply sits back and does nothing, because he thinks he's going to punish the Lord. But in reality, he's only punishing himself. Or maybe he thought he could get to it later. Maybe he thought if he buried it, he'd put it in a place of safekeeping, and then eventually, when the time was right, he'd get to it. But if we realize St. Paul is very acutely aware of this reality, we don't know when the master's returning. We should be trying to make a return on that investment right here and right now. But realize, that last servant, what happens? He's punished. But it's not because of anything that is imposed upon him, but it's because of the choices he made. It's because that ultimately he saw the master giving him great things, and he threw all that to the side because he couldn't be bothered. Or what's worse, he saw what the master had given him, and he decided to live selfishly. He wanted to go after his own pursuits. He wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to live life the way that he saw fit. But what did that lead him to? A place of darkness place of utter ruin, a place of wailing and grinding of teeth, nothing other than the pits of hell. And I dare say none of us want that reality. None of us want to really choose that way. And that's why it's important for us to see the opportunity that is given to us. Because we can't live selfishly. That if we acknowledge that the Lord cares for us, if the Lord's entrusted us with many things, many blessings, many graces, and even the sacraments and the Word of God itself, then we shouldn't let it return to Him void we should do something with it. And so the question that we should be praying with, all of the things the Lord has blessed me with, what am I doing with those things? Am I using them for good or am I using them for ill? 
Because if we use them for good, it's not just for our own good, but it can be for the good of others. Look at the Proverbs 31 wife, that she not only blesses her family, she not only blesses her husband, but she blesses even the poor around her because she is so generous and she knows what the gospel is asking her to do. And so she's rewarded at the gates, which means she attains eternal life. And indeed, those servants that come and share their master's joy, that they do what the Lord has asked, then indeed, they also share in the joys of heaven. But the question for us to consider is because all these gifts and all these abilities and all the blessings the Lord has given us along the way, they're not just for us. They're not just for us to use in a selfish or self-centered way, but they're for the benefit of our entire community, of our world, and of the church and our neighbors and brothers and sisters who need those gifts as well. And he's blessed so many of us in different ways. Some of us he might have made empathetic, that we're able to read others and we're able to tell maybe things that are far beyond the surface. Or maybe he's blessed others who tell stories really well, those that are able to relate stories and it's just enjoyable to listen to. Or maybe he's blessed others in technical ways or even ways where they can account very well or they can crunch numbers or they can do all sorts of different gifts. These are just a few of the different abilities that the Lord blesses us with. But they're not just for ourselves. They're not just for us to gain for our own benefit, but it's rather for the entirety of humanity. And that indeed is what the Lord is asking of us. He's reminding us that we've been given talents. We've been given gifts. We've been given blessings. And we've been given so many things that sometimes we take for granted. But whenever we assess all these things, whenever we give thanks to God for the gifts that we're given, does it change us for the better? Do we take all these gifts and do we apply them to our king, the kingdom of God? And do we seek after that? And do we seek to benefit our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because oftentimes when we look at a football team, we think about the team as a whole. But we can't because we have to look at the different skills, the different abilities, and even the positions. And we see that they aren't just playing for number one. They aren't playing for just themselves. And they aren't burying their talent in the ground. They want to do very well. But it's ultimately for the benefit of the team, for the benefit of the whole. And it's ultimately so that they can gain victory. I dare say a beautiful parallel to us gaining eternal life. Brothers and sisters, our Lord gives us so many great things in this life. He's blessed us with so many gifts and so many different things that we could fail to realize just how much he's given to us. Whenever we assess those things and whenever we recognize the way the Lord has blessed us with talents, what choice are we going to make? Are we going to choose to simply bury it in the ground? Or are we going to choose to take it and truly make something great out of those talents and gifts that the Lord has given to us?